All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. This is Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today. Up ahead this hour, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. But first, we invite you to sit back and enjoy as we present a new episode of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, January 9th. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today, we've got Shirley Lin. Hello. And Jake Chen. Hello. Up next, the strategy to boost voter turnout in this upcoming election that centers on cats. Then, three ways to alleviate election anxiety and a claw machine scam. All that coming up next. Please stay tuned. Well, we're just two days away from the big day, Election Day, when Taiwanese people will go to the polls and decide uh, who's going to be the next president. Um, well, there have been a lot of efforts to try and boost voter turnout. President Tsai, who's the incumbent, she held a, a press conference trying to get young people to go vote, you know, turn out the youth vote there. How are cats going to help this picture, though? <laughs> okay, well, uh, we all, I mean, for those of us in Taiwan, know why she's using cats in this promo ad. Mm. Because Why is that, Shirley? <laughs> she's a cat owner herself. That was sort of, she, her cats were sort of like her running mates in her first bid for election. Yeah, <laughs> Almost. Right. So anyway, this video actually is really quite cute and it's kind of long. Um, it is, you know, in such detail as if, you know, um, you know, it, it's like for made for those who's voting for the very first time because it used uh, several cats. Basically, uh, it started with saying like, how old are you? Oh, don't you know that you're if you're already 20, you can go vote, go vote, you know, and so different cats were calling out their ages and said, yeah, you can vote, go vote, you know, I think it's very, very so a cat that makes it past 20 cat theater. Well, well, of course, they, they there's trans- cat ears. Yeah, yeah, right. They use the cat ears. Set, yeah. Oh, okay. And, um, and you know, just one day with the video out, they already got like uh, 20,000 uh, people who, you know, clicked like. And uh, fourteen thousand people actually shared the, the the video. And this is a video on YouTube. Um, I found it was it had its own Facebook um, oh. site. It seems I was it's called Namu Yo So I don't a, know what that translates. That's a to. low number of likes for a cat video on yeah. YouTube. <laughs> but only for the first day. So um, who knows? Maybe it's already gained sort you know, of the double central that right driver now. of the internet. I mean, you have to see, it's really, really cute. Okay, then it goes on, you know, showing the cats um, going into these booths made big enough for cats to go in. I wonder how they got them to, like, go to in. To actually, yeah, tame these cats to do what they want them to do. I guess they must have just had a lot of long shots and just a waited lot. for them to do it of their own accord. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they had, yeah, redos a, a lot of times. And then they even showed um, how uh, the cats were using their paws. It's like, no, 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 you cannot use your paw or your finger or anything because that that makes it a um what do you call it a fei piao oh you it, it spoils the value yeah, yeah 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 if you use it your finger i don't understand what do you mean you can't use your finger no because you know we there is a special stamp oh, at these booths it's not your fingerprint you have to use your yes 
You have to use the special stamp. You have stamp to mark your ballot with the, the authorized stamp. And exactly. Not so if you use a finger, uh, then it becomes, you know, yeah, a wasted ballot. But anyway, okay. it, it went to that extent. And um, yeah, that's right. We're still not, we're not really into electronic voting here. That's we're no, still very that's much paper thing. based. Yeah, so. they need you there. So that's why people are actually flying home to their hometowns, whether it be because not everybody, you yes. know, if your hometown is in down south, this you have to fly home. Another thing we have home. to sort of explain ad nauseum. And mm. so bear with us if you've heard this a million times before. But it is something that a lot of people don't know, you know, or probably would find it hard to imagine, which is that in Taiwan, you need to report to your home district to vote. That's not necessarily yes. where you live. It's where your family is registered. That can right. be quite far away. And of course, yeah. if you're living abroad, you have to come you back. Have There's to no fly. Yeah. absentee vote. So, exactly. Um, okay, so we've explained mm -hmm. all the rules, all the regulations. Anything else that the cats have? Any electoral wisdom? Well, Who know, do they the endorse? Do they endorse the candidate? <laughs> I know there was no, a joke. Show that. I know there was a joke cat party in the last election. I saw yeah? a lot of fake posters. Oh, really? Huh. So I wonder That's if they, they're fielding a candidate this time around. Yeah. Well, actually, this cat video featured a celebrity dog. And, uh, you know, he was very insane, saying, I think his name is Nana. And said, oh, you're in the wrong booth. <gasps> I love that dog. <laughs> oh, really? You know this? I celebrity. follow that dog. Oh, my dog. goodness, John. You... <laughs> yeah? Yes. Oh, it's, gosh. A, it's a Shiba dog. Okay. Well, then it's I'm a, telling you. It's an you. internet celebrity in Taiwan. No kidding. <laughs> actually, wow. you know, that dog wished RTI a happy birthday. What? Last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was on Why? our... I don't know. We had a bunch of YouTube celebrities wishing us a happy birthday. Oh, wow. So Maybe some tactics. So the dog is also helping to drive out the, the voter turnout. Yeah. Well, then I wonder if you know these other cats then. I don't know so, cats Lu so Tong, much. Walk Tong. Oh, okay. Doujiang. Yeah. There's one called Soybean Milk. Soy Milk? Yes. Uh, soybean Milk, actually. I don't, I don't know. But anyway. Okay, so you know Nana. Well, well, he, he, you know, I think they purposely put him there because he didn't belong, but... Apparently there, are, yeah. Some... But anyway. Okay. Well, uh, I hope it works because you know, it, like you know, having to travel and there is of course going to be traffic jams and things like that. Everyone's going somewhere to vote, yeah. and so there's a lot of effort involved. I think getting it's much harder than in some other parts of the world where getting people you know off the couch to yeah. <laughs> to go vote's easy because you just have to walk down the street. In Taiwan, it's a real takes exercising your right to vote very literally. Yeah, you have to actually get up hassle. and move. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, the video also reminded you that you've got to bring your ID card and, of course, the ballot oh, sheet. That would be awful to go all that way and realize you were and missing something. Yep, yep. Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, oh, and your chop. You have to bring your chop. Your stamp, your personal Yeah, your stamp. stamp. Okay. reported on a spike in election anxiety that takes place in Taiwan around the time of, of every election. I'm sure it happens everywhere, actually, where voting is taking place. A lot of people, especially political junkies, get a bit too worked up about things, and it can drive you a little bit crazy. Uh, fortunately, fear not, we have three tips about ways to reduce your election season anxiety. Right. Um, I think these tips are certainly useful if you exercise them, but they do seem rather idealistic. So, <laughs> Is it like turn off the TV? Oh. Well, uh, no. Well, uh, there's one close to that. We'll get to uh, no that's number three. Media. We'll get to that later. Uh, number one is uh, not interfere with others' political choice and not look at other people's political leanings with uh, colored glasses. So basically, what I mean, that that, mean? I mean, like basically, don't judge other people's political choices. But I mean, mm -hmm. that's sort of that goes against every single. Who, can I ask who is whose advice is this? Is this an expert of some uh, kind? No, I don't think this is an expert of any kind. This, this was is someone who posted something on the internet. Just netizens, I from guess. From <laughs> a uh, uh, website oh. from the UDM. 
Okay. Oh, well, oh, so that's a newspaper. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, okay. So, so it's, uh, it's a, some ed- kind of columnist. Editorial of some sort. Okay. Right. So basically, number one is not judge other people's political choices. But in the Taiwan's atmosphere of... It's hypercharged, partisan. Right. It's super. Hard Again, follow. that's hardly unique to us, but we are pretty shouty. No, yeah. we're very shouty. We're the very. ones who, every time you turn on the TV and see footage of people in a parliamentary setting throwing furniture at each and other, that's always Taiwan. Sometimes fighting, yeah. They threw water at each other one time. That was interesting. They tear and down, shoes, right? I think... It's uh, kind of fun, actually. <laughs> they tear down, like, uh, desk and voting booths. Anyway, oh, it's pretty yeah. nuts. So, yeah, we'd all need to kind of take a chill pill. Break the mics. And oh, yeah. So that's but, one thing. But and, good luck doing that at this point of the well, election. We're two days away. don't talk politics or ask people what uh, they're... That is, kind of interestingly, that is uh, number three. Stop uh, bringing up political <laughs> politics-related questions at a dinner table or any tables and just pay more attention to things around you that actually matter to you more. It's hard because but, every restaurant in Taiwan has a TV on turned to election coverage. Yeah. Even so, if you don't want to talk about it, people from across the table will start conversations. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. It's an intrusion of you, can, privacy you can't help sort. overhearing people discussing these things. This is a democratic it can, country. It can make you very, depending on who's uh, ahead or what they're talking about, it can make blood boil. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I yeah. see people get into literally arguments, you know, uh, from what starts as, as very peaceful conversations. I think they should all learn from my in-laws and my parents because when they have dinner together and, um, you know, one my side is supports one particular party and the other and my in-laws support totally mm. the opposite. That'd so, be fun. Yeah. So you avoid this kind of topic just at all. And just say, oh, wasn't that good? You know, pointing to a dish at, on the table. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what's our third tip for avoiding election anxiety? Third one is pay more attention to uh, firsthand news sources and uh, less uh, editorial editorialized newses, you know, because a lot of news oh. coverage, I mean, mm. it's not a, it's, it's it's out in the open that media outlets are, are uh, funded by either parties, major parties here. So you hear very, connected. yeah. Things are written in, or presented in a way that's designed to rile that's, people up. Well, that's very that's colored. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole point of people not being able to chill out is because, you know, the, the media are not designed to, to make you chill down. So, um, yeah, so good, good luck doing that. You know, I think the best people can do is to get news from both sources and cross-reference somehow. Mm. And that's sort of the, the realistic thing to do because, you know, quote-unquote first-hand news barely exists here. I mean, there's there are reputable news sources. It's just yeah, well, they, there's very high, there are highly partisan ones as well. Yeah. Don't you that think way. that those who are more talkative are the people of the older generation? You know, uh, I, who are either staunch you know, supporters of certain I've parties. I've had that problem with taxi drivers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They are much yeah. older people, too. And they're and asking so, me what I think, and I'm like, I can't even vote here, so what does it matter? <laughs> right. But and they, they ask you to show talk support about anyway. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the younger people are, are, are getting up there as well. Uh, I've been approached by several people who are fairly young at a, at a bookstore, you know, mm. basically just uh, guys I don't know basically just start asking me about my political really? leanings. Well, it's great to just sort of uh, speak English and you know, walk I've been away. back 29 <laughs> years, and I think that. that people are definitely more uh, willing to voice their opinions. Not so before well, when people are more Taiwanese and, people, and people are more conservative. I understand we've only been in a democratic situation here for like 30 years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a you were, could get in very serious trouble before that for mm-hmm. voicing unorthodox political views. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, I it think... was a dictatorship here until mm-hmm. very recently, so I can see why people right. would have been hesitant when it was just getting underway. But like I was saying, you know, for those older people, like, for example, my in-laws, you know, um, they will believe whatever they hear on TV or read in the papers. They they, they don't take time to cross-check. Their to, to process <laughs> the information. There does seem to be... Um, <laughs> 
I don't know if it's a credibility gap or maybe younger people are just very cynical because they're used to being, you know, seeing fake things. Yeah. I think it's a combination of both. I think both factors well, are, are there. All this talk about elections has me <laughs> anxious, so let's change the subject. <laughs> Law machines. They're mm. sort of what to Taiwan, what I guess vape shops are becoming in a lot of Western countries. Oh, yeah, Although we're getting, right. we're getting those here too now, actually. So we are, we are. everything is a vape shop. Just the same thing here. Everything is a claw machine. And they have all kinds of prizes, some of them more questionable than others. Uh, but this is really takes the cake. Um, I've never, I mean, I guess it is uh, as presented. I agree. <laughs> so I don't know if he can really complain or not, but it does seem a bit like a bit of a scam. So tell us what happened. Okay, well, what this is this guy... prize? <laughs> okay, so this guy went to a claw machine and uh, it turned out that some of the boxes were actually had these brand names on it, Ooh. like L'Occitane. Ooh, you know, and um, he just thought, whoa. So his eyes lit up and so he put in a 10, 10 NT dollar and then start yeah, the claw machine and he got it successfully it sounds great so what yeah it sounded wrong? great well when you open it it was totally empty so he won a it box it was just an empty tin box surprise surprise and a box. Going, what's the whole trick and what's the whole point and he thought that is this the trend now because claw machines are so popular in Taiwan you've got you know like getting plushy toys to how they all stay in um, business yeah keychains to uh, even like live lobsters, remember? That, that was a controversial one. I think, that they, was really, I think that got shut down. Yeah, I that got shut down because of the Animal Protection um, Act. But anyway, um, so everybody's like, you know, I don't know, just cracking their brains I, to think of all creative ideas. I don't know how they all stay in business. I don't they're know. They're like proliferating like everywhere. convenience stores here, yeah. And they all kind of sell the same thing. I guess maybe it's because there's a low overhead. There, There's never any attendance there. True. But I guess it's a relief for, you know, now that we're getting close to election time, people try to find some ways to yeah. cool it. Maybe that's what they do is they go to a claw okay. machine. Okay. You win a box. So he thought that this is, is some kind of trend. He actually called the owner of the claw machine. And the answer he got was that, yep, you get an empty box. Thank you. And that was it. So is that know? a little, is that, Eagle? Is that misrepresenting or? I, I don't know. I mean, the box is what you see, right? Yeah, but it's just empty inside. So uh, maybe and there's a loophole there. I don't know. I, I have no idea. Okay. And so, you know, the netizens got discussing about it and wondering, you know, if that's even legal or anything like that. Hmm. But uh, but there's a lot of loopholes when it comes to claw machines, you know, for its popularity. and everybody... There's a lot of merchandise that's definitely not. Very questionable. Um, and uh, Definitely... Yeah. Um, not licensed, right? Off license, like Pokemon, oh, yes. especially. Some of them are kind of hor horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so. Off brand Pokemon. I mean, definitely, uh, copyright enforcers would have a field day yes. here. Well, anyway, this is definitely a never ending story about claw machines here. And we in just Thailand. can't. We just can't stop talking stop about talking them. about it. It's like the election. We should think of something. Uh, we need something else. <laughs> Well, there was a very cool uh, sort of uh, meteorological phenomenon not that long ago. I wonder if any of you guys saw it. Uh, this happened on Monday. It was in Thai the central city of Taichung, though, so I guess maybe not. Mm. Um, but uh, they was actually an upside-down rainbow. How is that possible? I, I don't know, but there was a, there, it's there photographic evidence that it happened. Um, and uh, it was on Monday, January 6th in the morning. And... Uh, <laughs> 
according to the person who took the photo. Uh, he came across it while on his way to work, and it was the first time he'd ever seen it. And he compared it to like a smile in the sky, which mm. I think is very nice, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the Central Weather Bureau actually seems to have waited on this. Apparently, they they have confirmed that this really was, this is not a faked photo. Uh Uh, They say that the local weather station there says that the upside down rainbow is technically known by the name circumzenithal arc. So you can look that up on Wikipedia if you are so inclined. Um, And actually it's a bit different than a rainbow, although they look alike. Uh, This is actually produced when the sun interacts with ice crystals up in way high in the atmosphere. And so uh, there's not raindrops, but uh, anyway, it looks pretty cool. And it's apparently not very common in Taiwan. You're not very likely to see this uh, at, when compared to other parts of the world, mostly because the island's pretty warm. The, you have to have ice crystals mm. to, I mean, I guess it's if you go up high enough, it's cold. But um, apparently it's pretty common, though, in high latitude places, much colder, such as Canada and Alaska. Um, and uh, it's sort of a bit like a solar halo almost. But it's a, a lot uh, lighter than rainbows, too. But it, actually, the picture looked pretty deep. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Because I was thinking it's got to be some kind of like, you know, what do you call it? A refraction <laughs> uh, um, of, of, a, of an actual rainbow or something like that for no, it to be upside down or uh, something. It's, it's, it looked pretty but, cool. Um, but then you said it's actually not a rainbow. It's, uh, it's the other name. Okay. Um, it's, you know, rainbows are not unusual here. Uh, Yangmingshan, which is like right up the road from us it's a mountain and it's pretty well known for its regular rainbows in fact they have like a rainbow season apparently after a rain or something yeah, yeah 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 i think they have the record for world's longest ever rainbow like in terms of not length but how long oh, it lasted, lasted. time wise yeah um so we were very used to rainbows but this was something a bit special i thought Right, before we go today, how much should Taiwanese people be saving? Right, that is a question that a lot of Taiwanese people themselves have. Uh, because, <laughs> uh, you know, like it's always, you know, the whatever portion of your uh, monthly income goes into saving and how much is enough. Uh, that topic never gets hold and uh, it gets renewed again on a recent PTT forum thread, which is a, a local, a very earthly, but a very uh, accessible local forum. So one guy said, uh, I'm making roughly 50,000 new Taiwan dollars, which is roughly $17,000 US. Um, pretty decent salary. And he said he's saving about a, a 10,000, so a fifth of that, so 20% of that. And he, and he thought he really doesn't think that's enough. Hmm. So that got a lot of people coming. There are people, and, and you have to take this with a grain of thought, who post all kinds of incomes and all kinds of percentage of the income that they're saving. It's uh, pretty entertaining, the, the comments that they have. Um, you have your uh, broke uh, university graduates who just got their first jobs who is making 20-something thousand new Taiwan dollars mm-hmm. who tells them that he could barely make ends meet, mm-hmm. which is the case for a lot of university students living on their own. Because you know, um, 20000 could be just all that for rent. And yeah, food, alone. barely, yeah. You know? wow. Yeah, because my daughter's paying that for rent. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a very tiny apartment. Yeah, yeah. especially in Taipei. Yeah. Uh, I doubt there were very, very many people asking how much money they should be putting away for their next yacht or mm. summer home. Right. But um, uh-uh. yeah. You wouldn't hear that. Yeah, uh, we could use a bit of higher salaries here in yes. Taiwan. But uh, anyway, that's all for today's episode of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Shirley Lin. And I'm Jake Chen. Don't go anywhere just yet. Coming up next, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight.
Lights, camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chen. Last week, we had a pretty comprehensive introduction on Japan's gang culture, made famous by the extremely violent, divisive, and enigmatic yakuza, the dominant crime organization in the country that has its influence in many industries, including real estate, finance, drug trade, human trafficking, and not to mention in the Japanese government as well. So this week, let's take a look at Outrage, a movie that was released in 2010, and in my opinion, one that paints a pretty accurate picture of the inner working of the yakuza. The movie starts with a group of middle-aged and older men having what looks like a luxurious Japanese-style dinner. All the men are sitting at a long table. With a group of younger men who are constantly refilling their sake or Japanese rice wine. As it turns out, this is an official meeting with Mr. Sekiuichi, the Grand Yakuza leader, the man who oversees all the underbosses who, in turn, control the different branches of the yakuza in different areas of Japan. At the end of the meeting. Kato, the chief lieutenant of Sekuichi, pulls aside one of the underbosses named Ikimoto, and tells him that he has found out about Ikimoto's dealing with a rival gang leader Murase, and that he's rather displeased about this development. He asks Ikimoto to bring Murase in line. This presents a little bit of a conundrum for Ikimoto. He said that he knew Murase when they were both imprisoned. And that during that time they made a pact to work with one another like brothers after they release. On the other hand, it is absolutely impossible for him to disobey orders from his superior. So Ikimoto commissions the head of an associate family, the Otomos, to take care of this business. The Otomos chief, played by the film's very own director, Mr. Takashi Kitano. Nods in silence, but does not reveal any of his plans moving forward. Well, he might be silent, but the film soon reveals that Otomo is not just an associate of Ikimoto; he serves as the muscle for the gang. In other words, when dirty work needs to be done, he and his small group are called into action. Later on, we see a man who is duped into an adult entertainment club. Only to be charged one million Japanese yen for the service, which is the equivalent of over nine thousand U.S. dollars for just one night of entertainment. Naturally, he's not ready to pay this exorbitant amount, and in a rather humiliating fashion, he is forced to go to his nearby office to withdraw the cash needed. But not long after, members of the nightclub think that they have the upper hand and send a young man to follow him to his office. That the young man finds out that the so-called innocent customer is actually a member of the Otomo gang, and that this whole thing has been a setup. 
while the man himself seems rather introverted and modest, the rest of the Ultimo gang, which awaits him in the so-called office, is anything but that. The young man realizes that he's in big trouble, and despite his incessant apologies, he couldn't get out of his jam because threatening a member of a gang is not an action that can be easily forgiven. The young man later on returns to the club, and it is revealed that at this point, he is from the Morase gang. It turns out that the whole thing is a setup by Otomo, the middle-aged man who happens to fall into the trap and visits the exorbitantly expensive nightclub owned by a gang, actually visits the club intentionally so that someone from the Murase gang at some point would do something that is out of line and ruffles the feathers of the entire Otomo gang. This, in turn, gives people in the Otomo gang reasons to start a gang war against Murase, while Ikimoto, the gang that oversees Otomo, gets to stay out of the whole thing and keep their hands clean and their relationship with Murase untainted. Here at the Murase headquarters, the whole gang has no idea that they have been involved in a gang war. The loyal and honest Murase boss sends one of his underbosses to Otomo to try to smooth things over. The underboss brings along a large stack of cash as well as the amputated small finger of the young man who earlier offended and coerced the middle-aged customer at the nightclub, and he has to the Otomo gang to apologize. What awaits him is a storm that he absolutely is not ready for. While the underboss shows his most sincere apologies at the Otomo headquarters, the Otomo members deem his apologies insincere and rude and inadequate. They then picks on his attitude and forces him to cut off his small finger to further apologize. And as if that's not enough of an embarrassment, they even hands him a paper knife to perform the act. This is perhaps the right time to explain the rather alarmingly frequent amputations of the finger at this point. According to Yakuza traditions, when a gang member offends his superior or botches up an important operation, he is expected to cut off a finger to show sincere apologies. This rather hideous ritual is, I'm sure, difficult to understand and to make sense of. But believe it or not, it's a practice that is commonly performed by Yakuza gang members to this very day. In fact, showing one or several missing fingers is a common way for the public to spot acting Yakuza members. And for those in the gang, having been amputated is a sign of embarrassment since it hints at their past wrongdoings. The self-harming ritual, while very, very extreme even by Japanese standards, reflects the rigid hierarchy that permeates in all corners of Japanese society. In all companies, public or private, it is expected that a person of a lower position or a younger person to bow and show an elevated level of respect to his or her elderly and supervisors. Gestures such as offering gifts or serving tea are very common, and those who fail to show respect, either intentionally or simply by mistake, are expected to outwardly express their apologies. My research has revealed that bowing, kneeling down, offering expensive gifts, and shaving one's head bald 
are all among the common practices of apologizing to one's respected elder. And yep, you heard the last bit right. In certain companies, and I'm not talking about gangs, in some professional workplaces, one must shave one's head bald if one fails to show respect to elders. That is how strict and deep-rooted the idea of hierarchy is and how it is implemented in Japan. Now, back to the movie. Murase's underboss finds himself backed into a corner, and offering cash and a small finger of his gang member is deemed not enough. He is left with no choice but to cut off his own finger, but as much as he tries and his blood is splattering all over the place, a paper knife simply isn't going to cut it. Uh, my apologies and pun intended, but I think I have to throw in some humor at this point to somehow lighten the mood because the scene really is very gruesome. The camera doesn't shy away from the scene at all, and we as viewers see the whole thing, including the knife that cuts into the finger and the blood spilling all across the table, and the man's face that twists in the middle of this agonizing act of self-harm. But that's far from the end of his suffering. The Otomo members taunt the man while he struggles to cut off his own finger, and as he tries to explain that himself, the head of Otomo grabs the paper knife from him and cuts his face twice. The young man from the nightclub earlier finally can't handle all this violence anymore, and he tries to run out the door while trying not to vomit. The Otomo gang members yell at him to stop in his track. And asks him to take his boss, now bleeding from deep cuts on his face, along with him. Murase certainly does not expect the latest development. He has sent two subordinates to the Otomo gang to apologize with what he considers a rather sincere offering, only to see them both come back heavily maimed and embarrassed. Left with no choice. The gang boss arranges a meeting with the Ikimoto gang and tries to settle the dispute. At the meeting, Ikimoto plays the ignorant nice guy who has no idea that such violent act had been performed by members of his associated Otomo gang. He plays dumb and pretends to be shot. Murase kindly asks him to help stop the bloodshed. And when Murase asks Ikimoto about making a pact with Ikimoto's gang boss, the head of Yakuza, Ikimoto once again pretends that the deal is not yet settled. Whereas, in fact, the Grand Yakuza boss looks down on Murase and his dealing of drugs, and that he has no intention to deal with him or to make a pact, other than to take over his turf. A gang war is quietly brewing. And Murase is still in the dark about all this. He is not aware that his turf is about to be taken, and that his life will be in danger. On the other hand, a plot against the Grand Yakuza leader is looming on the horizon as well. I hope all the bloodshed and the gory details certainly haven't turned you away from what is otherwise a very high-quality crime drama. Now, next week, we'll continue with the story of outrage and see how the remaining plot unfolds, and to see the fate of all those involved. Thank you once again for listening to Lights Camera Asia. I'm Jake Chen, and I'll talk to you next week.
dinner is served. Join Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International, radio for refined palates. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Victor Berglund is a former investment banker turned sustainability advisor slash impact investor based in Hong Kong. It became even more evident that he would rather focus on sustainability issues and the environment when he became a father in 2019 and he wants what's best for his child. He agreed with me when I told him how I've interviewed many Taiwanese young people who have great ideas for sustainability or whatever, but it most often boiled down to where the funding was going to come from for their projects. Today, Victor begins by talking about what he has observed about the startup scene in Taiwan. If you see that on the startup community that we have here, there's quite a lot of events going on, workshops and even large-scale conferences. You know, we have said uh, Meet Taipei and um, Innovex is, is coming up. But similar to how you did it on the um, electronic, consumer electronic side, where, you know, Computech is one of the biggest that we have in Asia. It's important to not view these um, conferences as simple MICE events, that Taiwan is just a host for these events. But rather see that how can we make a long-lasting impact locally here? You know, we, we cannot just have great companies coming by here and holding presentations and yeah. inspire people. We need to see that how can we make a, a, a local f- footprint out of this? The whole sort of conversation cannot die down just because there's no conference going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's really, again, there's an effort that requires very broad support in the society from a number of entities. Uh, but I definitely think that's something that Taiwan can do and, and, and should do. That's why we've got people like you. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> we all have our role to play. Okay. Do you have any success stories to share as a sustainability advisor? If you look at the SDGs as, as such, they are quite broad, whereby clean water and sanitation, goal number six, there's a clear technology angle to that, right? How can we, how can we sort of clean up our oceans and rivers and lakes um, in, a, in a scalable and you know, cost-efficient manner. That's something that re- definitely requires equipment of some sort. And technology is going to play a big part here. But then there are other goals, for instance, on gender equality, which could be facilitated through technology, obviously, through, a, oh. through, through educating people about you know, the benefits of, of gender equality. But at the same time, if you look at countries typically in developing markets, um, where young girls aren't allowed to go to school, mm. as an example. The reason why they aren't allowed to go to school is not because we don't have the technology to facilitate that. Instead, you, we need to look at other obstacles to that, which can, you know, it can be culture issues. Oh, yeah, tradi- that's tra- all tradition. I think of. Yeah, I mean, tra- tradition plays a big part in, in, in certain countries around this. The overall situation as well, where 
a lot of a lot of young girls and women for that matter they they have to work from a very early age so that's the typical area where technology is not the problem so okay. for me because you know we have technology is not the reason why girls can't go to school in certain countries so if you talk about the success of what we're doing i mean we see a lot of great um research coming out from the partners that we work with talking about water i personally uh, work with a project right now um, which offers technology on water purification for enclosed water bodies so typically um, lakes reservoirs and ponds okay. so fresh water as opposed to cleaning oceans this is on fresh water and that becomes the strategic issue because for a lot of countries obviously you need to have access to clean fresh water Mm-hmm. So the counterparties here are uh, government or utility companies normally mm-hmm. on both sort of a local and provincial state level up to a national level. But you know, it's always hard to get through to the government on issues like this. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, this is one of the challenges of, of dealing with so many stakeholders that you need to maneuver it in a, in a very careful way. But this is obviously something that applies to both sort of OECD economies and also developing markets, emerging markets around the world they all tend to see the benefit of having access to clean water. It's less sensitive politically, and it's something that is sort of universally accepted, that yes, ah. we need access to it. However, yeah. mm-hmm. if I would go into certain countries and say that um, I really think it's the time for you to you know, take the necessary steps to allow more young girls go to school, that is something that could face resistance in certain communities. Yes, for a variety of reasons. So then obviously, you know, you have to you have to uh, use a very different approach mm-hmm. um, and present them with a compelling proposal and, and see how you can convince them step by step. Normally, we would see, though, that if we can solve one problem, for instance, on access to clean water in certain countries, that would free up time for young girls and women to spend less time walking hours every day to, to a well water, to get yeah. water. And perhaps it would be possible for them to use some of that time Mm -hmm. to go to school for a few hours at least. Or do something that would allow them to empower themselves, which Mm -hmm. we, you know, in every single case, we see that that's beneficial to the community, Mm. getting women into the workforce. Mm. Um, Not because it's the right thing to do or because it's the fair thing to do, but because it has and tremendously positive impact for the community in terms of everything, yeah. growth to the very least. Oh, wow. We've touched on so many issues and there's still a lot of global issues that need to be resolved, but I just don't know where to start. Every single one of them, especially those 17, you know, SDGs, they are very important. And I think the UN has touched on the most basic ones. And if only every country can see that and see the importance of that. It sounds philosophical almost, but we, you know, you have to ask yourself, what kind of future do we want for ourselves? And what's the sort of, what's humanity going to look like for the next few generations? And what we're trying to do here is at least to say that there is an enormous amount of challenges ahead of us. Um, you know, the SDGs, uh, the sub-goals under SDGs, you know, they, they have a whole number of, of, of issues to address, obviously. Um, but we're, we're, we're making it very clear, though, that today we are fully convinced that we have access to technology, at least, that can address all of them. Technology, the lack or the lack thereof, is not the problem here. So you think technology is the solution to most of these issues? It's not the solution as, as such, but it's definitely a facilitator to a lot of the, the, uh, the SDGs. Uh, but far more so, we're saying that the reason why we cannot tackle some of these SDGs 
is because of you know the technology isn't there that's not the case the technology is there for every single one of them but instead like i mentioned they're not being used properly they're not used being properly and they may not be deployed to the extent that they should be obviously you know legal issues around some you know some some patents sure. and so on and so forth but uh what you mentioned earlier uh you know funding is definitely a problem for a lot of these uh sdgs and they are enormously complex in nature you know don't get me wrong about that but at the same time we see that like to, to go back to the example about um, you know women and, and young girls um, mm. having to to work instead of going to school, that's a typical situation which is not happening because we don't have technology to fix it. Technology in that sort of um, context perhaps plays the smallest role. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Well, you seem to bring up this issue quite a lot. Is that one of your major concerns? You're thinking about how you can help some of the countries to overcome this. You want to become I don't know, an influencer for some of the countries. Well, I mean, I have worked on um, government advisory for a number of countries, uh, trade and economic policy um, formations. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so I've seen that sort of the inner works of that. It's, it's definitely a frustrating process sometimes, and mm-hmm. it's a difficult process because you have to be, go on and be very diplomatic about it. But I, I do feel that we can do a lot better than what we're doing today. And I would say that reaching the SDGs before the year 2030, which is which is the sort of the deadline, quote-unquote, uh-huh. um, is, of course, a monumentous task. Yes. But it doesn't change the fact that we should give it a, give it a go. Okay. And I think that what's important here when we look at it from an inv- impact investment perspective is that nothing that we do is surety. Everything has a clear commercialization uh, process to it. And for all the research that we find and validate, there's a clear application for it. And that's very important here to make it work, to make it scalable, to show both corporates and impact investment uh, investors that there's a clear case on this from an investment perspective. The returns are there, and they are very decent. You're looking at sort of you know mid-teens IRR, right? So it's mm-hmm. above 10% IRR in a lot of, as a minimum. And this is a big transition where we see the technology and uh, you know policy making as, as well, of course. Um, has made a lot of cases that weren't feasible a year ago, they are feasible now. To give an example, in a Taiwanese sort of setting, um, in 2010, I worked with a company here. Um, well, we, we came here to Taiwan to look at the deployment of offshore wind farms. And at that time, it was perhaps not the right time. We were a bit early on this one. Um, because it was it required a lot of um, subsidies and other types of sort of you know government yeah, government subsidies to really make it work and even on that basis the returns weren't super attractive but now you will see that offshore wind farms are gaining a lot of traction here in Taiwan and yes. Taiwan has positioned itself as a country that making a big push for this alongside perhaps South Korea but this is a typical example where we're saying that it wasn't doable perhaps or it wasn't interesting enough a decade ago but it is interesting now. Yeah. And far more so, it's it's not only interesting of saying, well, I don't make a lot of money on it, but I'm, you know, I, I leave a, a I reduce carbon emissions and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But we can see that this alone, take away the social good aspect of it, it still looks attractive on the pure financial basis. Well, we've been talking about all these hardcore <laughs> issues and topics. So let's kind of like tone down a little bit here. What do you like about Taiwan? 
I think there's a lot of there's a lot of great things about Taiwan. Every time you know me and my wife and and, and my son come back here, we always have a good time. Um, not only because we have relatives here, but um, it, it's, it's a really nice break from Hong Kong, perhaps especially over the what's going on yeah. at the moment. One thing that always strikes me here is the sort of the, the friendliness of mm-hmm. people here, mm-hmm. and and I always feel naive as I may be that there's a very <laughs> genuine kindness here. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that the smiles that I that I get here are, you know, genuine. Genuine. <laughs> <laughs> I like to hope so at least. Um, and we always enjoy, um, you know, the the food. And uh, I think for me, being raised in Europe, seeing the the landscape here, being you know closer to nature in a way, is always something that I appreciated w- w- with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great variety from um, from you know the mountains here up north down to some of the beaches in the south. And me and my wife are definitely seeing Taiwan as, as a country where we um, you know, would probably settle down at some point in time. Okay. You're most uh, welcome. <laughs> thank you very much. I mean, I also think that, that for, you know, for a kid, it would be a great place to, to grow up. He can roam around more freely than he can in, in Hong Kong, where a more cramped environment. Great. Um, but overall, I think it's, you know, it's, it's always a very positive experience coming back. And I think that you know, going forward, probably starting next year with some of the projects that I have going on, we're going to spend more and more time here, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Victor. Um, you have a great heart. I think um, that's why you switched from being an investment banker to what you're doing now. And uh, I think you have a great heart for just the environment, the people, your family, and so you have um, all these things that that you're thinking ahead of you. That's um, that's putting you in motion, in you know, kind of like helping to go in the direction that's good for the world. Gosh, we're talking like you're a world leader or something. <laughs> but anyway, but you are. Now it's, it's yeah, it's really about. Um you know, making small steps here and there. And, sure. uh, you know, th- one, one of the benefits of having doing what I'm doing is uh, bringing together brilliant people who are very inspirational is, is a reward in itself. And it's something I really enjoy, similar to what you were doing with your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's such a common phrase where just be, some, be their voice. Okay, so I hope that this platform can be just their voice. I mean, we actually touched a lot of difficult big issues and problems here but it takes like not giving up and even if it's just counting on you yourself alone you have to believe in yourself that no matter how small steps you're making it's an impact and it takes people like you okay insignificant you to keep doing and believing what you're doing and then when you attract a whole lot of other people with the same mindset that's how we can start making some really big impacts in the world. It makes perfect sense. And I mean, obviously, a lot part of what I do is bringing together people who are far smarter than I am. And, you know, getting... <laughs> You're very humble. Well, getting brilliant people in the same room, get them to talk. And that's really perhaps where it's more my turn to take a step back mm-hmm. and let them do their thing, meet okay. and greet, and try to then to sort of bring the best out of that conversation. And it is amazing. Like you say, you bring, you know, a few smart people together in a room. Usually, great things tend to happen. Yes, that is right. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing, Victor. Don't give up whatever convictions you have and what you're thinking of doing. Thank Thank you you. very much. Thank you, Hurley. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. 
Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Type A, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Type A, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.